Welcome to the RunFit365.com podcast, episode 28. Booyah! Welcome to the RunFit365.com podcast. This is episode 28. I'm Travis. And this is Dan. Dan, is it just me or does it feel like we've not done a podcast in like a year? It absolutely feels that way. <laughs> I, I <laughs> hope weird. we remember how to do this. Well, I'm sure we'll find out how bad it is. Yeah. Yep. So do you want to talk about where we were last week a little bit? Yeah. Um, we were going out of town. You were going out of town. Yeah. And we tried really hard to hook up kind of at our at a different time than normal. And those kids, man, they just wouldn't let us, just wouldn't let it happen. Yep. <laughs> so we finally went to plan B, which was delayed a week. So it feels like one week is, feels like six months, you know? It does feel that long. Um, but, you know, time with your family is important. And Alyssa and I had a great time in Boston. And depending on how um, episode 28 goes, maybe we can share some stories there. But I know... Um, the main objective today is getting back on track with our race prep series. Mm-hmm. Um, this is number three in that series. Yep. And, and I know before um, we even took our water break, which is what we called our last podcast, <laughs> um, you had a lot of notes ready and um, and kind of set to go. So um, mm-hmm. you want to jump right in and do this? Let's do it. Yeah, because there's, there's quite a bit to color, cover here. Um, we, we may get right up to the end with this, this material. So this is really, uh, if you remember the last time we had a podcast that um, we talked in series number two, we brought it right up to when the gun went off. So you're you know getting ready to race, all the things leading up to that one point, um, gun goes off, and that was the end of the podcast. Today we're taking that gun um, all the way through the end of the race a little bit into the recovery, uh, same day recovery. And then series four, kind of the thought was we would talk a little bit about, so what should I be doing in the weeks following and how long should I recover and what kind of things should I be doing? So that will be um, race day series number four. In fact, that one could be a little bit short of material. So if there's things that you want to know in the weeks following um, the race, please let us know and we'll make sure to include that stuff. So Today we're talking about the gun going off, and um, hopefully by now you've reviewed the the course. That's a really important thing to do because most courses nowadays give you, um, you know, usually a satellite view of the race, gives you visuals of where in the city you're going to be, so tell you what route's going to be, and they usually tell you where the water stations are going to be. So we'll talk a little little bit about hydration today. Uh, during the race, a little bit of nutrition as well. Um, but it's really a good idea to make note of where those table locations are, specifically if, if they get to the right level of detail, which side of the road they're on, how many there are, because um, we'll get to that in just a second. It's, it's kind of good to know that. Um, plus, if they have nutri- nutrition stations, a lot of races supply you with some nutrition. A lot of them don't. So, uh, you know, you want to make sure you're planning for that and bring your own stuff. And, in fact, you might want to bring your own stuff anyways because you, you only want to use 
the stuff that you've practiced with. So if they're, if they're using things that you're not used to, and that includes like the flavor of Gatorade or, or whatever, uh, you might consider bringing your own stuff if that's uh, possible for you to do. And then um, a lot of times they'll mark where the bathrooms are. That's important to note so that um, you, know, you can plan that as well. So starting with a little bit of hydration, and uh, Travis, as you're as we're going through this, throw your notes in here too. You you know you just came fresh off a marathon, so you you might have some uh, very fresh uh, memory of of these things. Absolutely, yeah. So hydration, like we've said in the past, is very unique to you. Typically, um, the average athlete will take in or need around three to six ounces every fifteen to twenty minutes. But again, um, this is something you should have been practicing and practicing in, in various weather conditions. So you should have a pretty good sense of what your sweat rate is and um, you know how much fluid is, is needed for you. Uh, so that's just sort of a guideline. Um, a lot of coaches, and I agree with this, say to use your thirst as a guideline. Um, don't drink just because it's time to drink. If you're not thirsty, you might think twice about uh, taking anything in because overdoing it is just as bad as undering it. Uh, underdoing it, in fact, may be worse because uh, of the risk of hyponatremia, where your sodium levels are too low, and that that can cause some major issues. So, just be really uh, wary of that, and uh, use thirst as your guide. Um, and and in terms of you know the water tables, you're, you're coming up, and you know you're going to need some some water or Gatorade. Uh, most races use both sides of the roads, and most races have multiple tables in a row. And 90% of people, I think, maybe maybe not that high, but especially the newbies out there, um, they see a table of water and they go for the first one. And that's, that's sort of a rookie mistake because if you look, <laughs> and once you do it the first time, you, you walk past it or run past it and you notice there's like three or four tables uh, with nobody, I mean, there's just people holding water, waiting for somebody, and everybody's gone to that first table. Um, so make sure, and um, when you're scoping out the race course, look for how many tables there are so that you can plan on going to the second or the third um, and get out of the crowd. I've also read that a lot of people sort of favor the right side of the road. So, um, you know, going to the left side if they have tables over there is also a good idea. That research, Dan, is so spot on. Um, you know, we're just coming off of the Boston Marathon, and they had water stations set up on both sides of the road every mile uh, of the marathon. So we knew going into the race that we were going to have water available um, at every mile marker. And it, it's truly amazing how many people, um, you know, jump right for that first table when, you know, they had multiple tables and, and, you know, Alyssa and I would, would just kind of wait till towards the end where there wasn't a big bottleneck because you can lose, um, you know, precious time at these water stops if you're not, you know, staying aware and um, kind of watching what you're doing. You can also get tangled up with runners because, you know, people get tight and they, you know, they're reaching for the water. Another mm -hmm. thing I observed that, um, you know, it's a small little race tactic, but when, you know, these volunteers are holding out water, they've got their gloves on and um, they're, they're kind of pinching the, the rim of the cup just so you can grab them easier. 
And if you're um, new to running or new to the marathon, kind of it's almost human instinct to try to grab the cup like someone's handing it to you. And that almost hardly ever works when you're running at any kind of pace. Um, but, you know, if you can just kind of pinch the top of the cup, if you can just envision pinching that paper cup, what it does is it gives you a better chance to just kind of use that as almost a funnel so you're not trying to drink like you typically would in a cup, and it makes it much easier uh, to consume water. Without putting it up your nose. Without, yeah, without doing that. So um, that's something we practice during the race. Um, and, and just getting that down pat and thinking that through beforehand, I know it's something small, but just having your race tactics, anticipate how you're going to manage those water stops, and for Alyssa and I, like you said, Dan, three to six ounces every you know, 15 minutes or so, what we worked out was every other, every other mile we would take just a, a little bit of water. We wouldn't consume um, you know, a full glass, but we would take just enough to you know, wet the mouth and rinse it out and um, mm -hmm. get a couple swigs. But, but again, you've got to know your body, but that was something that worked pretty well for us. Yeah, and, and with the assumption that you've started hydrated as well. Not that you can ever really catch it up, mm -hmm. but that's important to note, but that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, just wet your whistle sort of a thing. Um, <clears throat> glad you said the, the pinch the cup, uh, whatever method that is. Yeah. I had to look that up. I've never been really good at that. In fact, um, <laughs> I have to, and this is this is never a bad thing to do. If, if you're worried about it or if you're, you know, it's not going to take a lot of time um, to, to drink the water, it's okay to stop and walk if you need to. Um, and it's a lot easier to get, uh, the water in that way without choking on it or, or getting water up your nose. I've done that many a times, but basically what Travis just said is exactly right. You, um, you take the cup, you squeeze it. And the way I saw it, they squeeze it with kind of, um, where your finger and thumb come together. You squeeze it there and it leaves, like the, I guess there's a portion of the cup at the bottom then that's still open and then you just kind of put it to your mouth. And that basically takes away, it, it makes it, I guess you said a funnel, it makes it a little bit kind of like a, a bottle of water where you can just put that part in your mouth yeah. and, and then down it. So um, I've never been successful at it, but I've seen many people do it and uh, um, it's definitely good to keep water from going up your nose. Right, and like you said, it's the most important thing about you know the water stops is making sure you're consuming you know the fluids there. If you have to stop, stop. Um, you know, towards the end of the race, Alyssa and I were stopping to make sure that we were getting adequate amounts of of water. Um, but you know, don't be afraid to stop to make sure you're getting enough fluids. Um, yes. Yeah. You, you definitely don't want to choke yourself out either and snort a bunch <laughs> of H two O early on in a race. Yeah. Stop, walk a few steps, take a few sips, and then go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just keep in mind that um, you know, races that are later spring, early summer, where the, the heat is higher, um, you know, there's different needs there. And, of course, hopefully you've had the opportunity to practice those things in training, but you're, uh, you might need a higher uh, amount of fluids. You might need uh, a different range of electrolytes, higher electrolytes. So. You know, keep that in mind for hydration during the race as to what the conditions are going to be. Yeah. So a little bit about nutrition. Again, this is something you should be practicing. Um, the, the typical sort of standard is about 
0.3 grams per pound every hour, and that translates to about 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates every hour. Um, you really don't need anything for about the first hour if you've uh, really fueled yourself up well before the race. So wait at least 45 minutes, uh, maybe up to an hour before you take your first um, supplement of nutrition. But again, use what you've practiced. It's unique to you. Uh, the, the, what we want to avoid, a couple things. We, we don't want to hit the wall. We don't want to bonk. And that's where your glycogen stores have been exhausted. So you putting in calories every hour or so um, keeps keeps you from basically exhausting your stores too quickly and allows you to get through the race without that big, what they call a bonk or hitting the wall. But you also want to make sure and avoid GI upset and cramps because if you take too much in, um, that's what you're destined for. And so it's important to practice for you what is too much, what is not enough. And, um, you know, things like you can, a lot of people do it just by taking in liquids that have calories. Um, there are foods a lot of times that are quick. You know, you see the jelly bean stuff, the, the things that are high in carbs that are quick and easy to eat. Um, gels, the important thing about gels are, um, you want to take them with some water because it slows the absorption of the gel. If you don't do that, um, it, it tends to create some GI upset because the carbs are trying, you know, it's trying to digest it too quickly. So taking some water is a good idea. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, what I had written down for nutrition. Any, any tips from you, Travis? Um, I, I don't think I would add anything other than, you know, practice, with what types of gel. There's tons of different gels on the market. So for example, in Boston, um, Cliff Bar was the main sponsor. So they had nutrition stops, I think at mile 17. And um, that may have been the only nutrition stop in the race. And Alyssa and I had been training with Goo, the Goo brand um, during our training cycle. So, you know, we brought our nutrition with us during the race. And I, again, this is something small and minor, but if you are used to um, consuming, you know, three to four gels on your long run and have those staggered out throughout the race or your training, when you get to race day, one of the things you got to think about is you don't have that um, courtesy of going out and, you know, essentially dropping nutrition at certain spots. So one thing Alyssa and I found, and luckily we caught this at on time, was, you know, we didn't have enough capacity on in our running shorts to carry. We each took four gels that day, so it was going to be awkward for us. But we bought one of those fuel belts at the expo, mm -hmm. um, and was able to use that to store our gels during the race. Um, again, just a small tip like that, but um, it made all the difference, and we didn't have to rely on, um, you know, the race for our nutrition. We were used to consuming goo, and um, that part worked out really well for us. Nice. Yeah. Perfect nutrition strategy. Yeah. So speaking of strategies, let's talk about some pacing strategies. Um, there are basically three kinds of strategies you can take. There's the positive split. We'll talk about each of these in a minute. There's the even pace sort of strategy, and then there's a negative split. Um, we'll talk about what you shouldn't do first, and that's going out too fast. And So a positive split is where you run the first half of a race faster than the second half. 
Um, not very recommended. There's some people that do this and get away with it. And, um, but the problem with that is you will, the, the faster you go up front, the more glycogen you're going to, you're going to use up. So you're going to have the chance, the, the wonderful chance of, of hitting the wall earlier than you would otherwise. So uh, we've talked about before going out slower, um, is probably a better, Strategy so positive splits probably not something you can should consider unless it's something that you know works for you. Um, then there's the even pace and the, the hard thing about all these things is um, you know one you're on race day so you're you know you're excited you're you're out there um, typically uh, you're it, it feels like it's really easy to go out there and, and run the first mile or two or three um, and it's easy to do it too quickly so. Keeping an eye on your pace is important, especially if you're trying to do even pace because you get out there, um, your, your goal here is to do the same pace for the first and second half of the race, and it's just really hard to do. It's hard to keep that pace consistent. Um, it is a good tactic, but it's, it's one of the harder ones to do. And then third is negative split. And what I read about this is that all records that have ever been um, recorded, all record distance or times for every distance has been done this way as a negative split. And this is where you go um, faster on the second half than the first half. It's, uh, and the reason for, probably the reason why it's so successful is you're conserving your energy up front and then, you know, picking it up a bit in the back. And so, um, yeah, I just lost my train of thought here. But it, we've talked about starting slowly and we'll give you some tips a little bit on, on pacing here. Um, feeling like the first mile is slower than you think you should be running. So five to ten seconds slower than your goal pace for the first mile um, helps you get warmed up. It helps with, you know, everybody sort of leaves at the same time. There's probably a lot of traffic if you're in the corrals that I'm in. Um, you know, there's, there's often lots of people in front of you. So... As tempting as it is to, to run around people and make that first mile, you know, really count, it's way better to start off slower, um, conserve your glycogen, because again, if you're, if you're weaving in and out of people, you're using a lot more energy than you actually know, um, and, and just start that slower. And then um, once you get sort of settled in, a good way to pace yourself is to find a group or a person, or like Travis, you said you ran with Alyssa. Find um, somebody that's running at the right pace for you and just follow them or even run up next to them and see if they'll run with you. That way it's, it's sort of a good way to, to keep on pace and uh, not going too fast, too slow. And then interesting that most races, maybe even all races, when they measure the distance for the race, they take the, the very shortest distance there is. So they basically, if you look ahead and you just turn a left corner and you have to turn a right corner coming up, they draw that straight line from where you just turned to where you next turn. And most people don't think about that. And probably most people are running a little bit longer than the actual measured distance. So uh, it's very it's very okay to do just kind of cut the corners. Don't don't cut the the corners like off the course, but make sure you're you're taking the course at the shortest points you can and look ahead as you're going, make sure you're, you're running straight lines. You might throw people for a loop because you're, 
kind of starting on one side of the road and crossing the street because you're going to make a turn. But that way you're going to get your best time. You're going to conserve the most energy. And really you're, you're taking advantage of the shortest distance you possibly can. And then, um, you know, in the negative split, you're going to pick it up usually in the last two to three miles if you can. If you don't think you can do it, don't do it and just keep that pace. But that's how you kind of make up for, um, you know, the slower half is the last two to three miles. Uh, don't overdo it. I don't want to say this and make people freak out, but, you know, you, we've all heard about um, people that die at the, fission, the finish line and need to be resuscitated, et cetera. Um, I read a statistic, something like 95% of all um, running collapses occur in the last mile of the race where people are just really trying to run it out hard. So don't overdo it. You know, you want to finish strong. Just just do it strong. Don't don't try to sprint and do something silly. So, what resonated with you there, Trav? Well, a couple things. One, um, and this stuff's still fresh to me, so that's why I keep going back to Boston. <laughs> but Alyssa and I both ran with Garmin watches, um, and when we finished, you know, our watches were both spot on at twenty six point four miles. And, you know, we, we were pretty cautious and kind of watching to make sure that we were lining up the tangents pretty well. But um, what we think happened was there were so many people, even the subtle kind of back and forth, you know, weaving through groups, mm-hmm. um, even early on in a race can add up. So um, I, I think your advice on, you know, making sure that you're looking ahead to make sure you're um, lined up for that next kind of tangent so you're not, you know, adding anything to the course, you know, those, um, two tenths of a mile, you, you know, when you think about that could be an, over a minute, two minutes possibly. Um, yep. so that stuff adds up if you're not paying attention to it. Absolutely. And some of the people I, you know, I've talked to, they say when you're, you know, thinking about negative splits, they say, if you're running a half marathon, you know, try to get through, um, you know, 10 miles at, like you proposed, start out slower and then build up to your um, goal pace. And then really um, what you have left is finish finish the last three miles if you're doing a half. And if you're doing a full, they say the race really starts at 20 miles. And we all know that any of you that have ran marathons, once you get to 20, um, if you're having a good race or if you're having a bad race, you already know it at that point. <laughs> so yeah, um, if you can be patient and be cautious early and really you, you know lose some miles in a marathon, you can find yourself at 20 feeling fresh and um, like you have a little more gas in the tank. That that's how you PR. That's how you. Um, that that's probably the research you are finding. That that's how these records fall. Is yep. people just kind of fill. Um, the training is paid off, and then they find themselves at 20 with um, enough to finish strong. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. So that's kind of, um, from a pacing perspective, just go out there and, and, you know, do some planning, but try to focus on enjoying as well. Um, don't get too caught up on, am I at the right pace? And bring, you know, having a watch is a good idea. Just don't stare at it the whole time because that can cause you bigger issues than than good sometimes. Yeah, so kind of, you probably have seen this too in the past, Dan, but a lot of races now, even some of the smaller marathons um, have pace groups. Mm-hmm. So essentially um, race directors will give 
um, free race entries to people that will run certain paces. And typically mm-hmm. it ranges, uh, you know, you can find a three hour group to a four thirty group in the marathon. And, um, that is a really good way to kind of latch on, um, to a group of people and, you know, make a few miles vanish, um, and just kind of settle in with the group. Um, so that's another tactic. If, you know, think about that for your next race. And if the race has, um, you know, pace groups, it's a perfect way to just settle in and, um, lock in on your pace. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought of that. So let's talk a little bit about the mental aspect of things just quickly. Um, you know, at some point in the race, you're going to have to probably have a little mental push. And a lot of times this is when you run out of glycogen, you're hitting that wall, or it's just, you know, so much time has gone by or, or you hit a big hill or, you know, whatever it is, you're going to probably have to have a mental push. So hopefully you've visualized this in your training already. Um, hopefully you've seen the course ahead of time and you can kind of see where that might occur for you and you've practiced it. Um, but there's, there's kind of some things you can do to improve, you know, where you're at mentally in the race, things like, um, tracking down the mileage. Most, most races now have, you know, what mile you're at. And so rather than to think, oh, I'm at mile 13 of a marathon, start counting down how many miles you have left or, or break it up into segments so that it's easier to digest and, and, you know, get a little more excited about it as you go and then try to enjoy it. I mean, this sounds silly, but you've paid money. You've done a lot of training. Um, hopefully you're, you're going to get your time or at least work towards it. Don't be too serious about it. Let's, you know, try to enjoy it the moment as much as you can. And I, um, recently I, I talked about, I don't know if this is the last podcast or the one before, um, one of our, uh, run fit 365 athletes, Michael, from Slovakia sent us his story about how he took 40 minutes off his marathon. I actually posted his story on our website, one of our blogs, but um, I'm going to read a a little bit here quickly. He said, um, so he chose to run at an even pace, um, although he did say he started a little bit slower with the first few kilometers. He said, let's see, Everything went according to plan. I did have a small crisis around 30 to 34 kilometers where I had trouble staying on my target pace. But I told myself, this is what it should feel like. It is totally normal. So I just ran through it. And he's totally right. Everybody at some point in the race is going to feel that feeling. And if you, unless there's something majorly wrong, something physically, and it's, you know, something hurts or whatever, if you just feel exhausted or, you know, I'm not going to get through this or whatever. There's that time for that push. And hopefully you've practiced that in, in your training and visualized yourself past that because it's totally doable. And in his case, he totally, you know, he, he got his record uh, by a long shot by pushing through. So mental aspect, don't, don't forget about it. Important stuff. Yeah, the, the marathon is a total roller coaster, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's just like you can go from feeling awesome one mile and then feel like you're just um, on your last leg the next mile. But I, I think that's good advice is just being persistent and knowing that, um, you know, your training is going to help get you through um, through the race. But um, I, I, you know, 
from personal experience, I can't think of one marathon where it's just been like that. That's been the smoothest run from start to finish. That was just like a jog in the park. <laughs> uh, I don't think they're designed that way. So, right. you know, part of that is just um, getting that mental toughness. So when it happens, you're prepared for it and you know how to handle it. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. So I think we've talked about, unless you can think of other topics, I think we're to the finish line. Um, hopefully at this point you've attained your personal best You're You've got a perfect goal. And a lot of people, and in fact, a lot of races don't design their, you know, right after the, the finish line, they're slowing people down. They, they basically stop you to start collecting the water or taking off, um, you know, the chips or, or whatever it is. They, they take people from a, a run, and a lot of times your fastest part of the run, because you're sprint, you know, a lot of people go hard at the, at the finish, to basically standing still. And that's really unfortunate because, you know, you've been running for miles. Your arteries are dilated. Um, you're, you're basically, they're going to stay dilated until you've cooled down. So if you've gone from running to stop, you have some big arteries and, they're, you know, you're not running anymore. So the, the blood isn't needed in the muscles like that. And so the blood can start pooling in your legs and a lot of people faint. A lot of people fall over. And so it's really important as much as you can to, um, you know, if you're able to go for a 10-minute jog or a 10-minute walk um, until you can cool down a bit and get, get some of that taken care of. Um, and then go, go through the line if that's possible. A lot of races it's not. So you have to go through the line, you know, get this, the water, the nutrition, the metal, whatever. Um, and then you go do that and make sure that you're doing that for at least 10 minutes um, and at least walking. Uh, in fact, a lot of people, you should only walk. Um, if you are uh, an advanced athlete, jogging is, is probably a little bit better for you. And then make sure after that 10-minute cool down, you're still on your feet, uh, kind of moving around a little bit for another 20 minutes or so. All this so that you're not, um, you know, if you, just, if you just cross the finish line and you sit down, you're asking for some trouble. Now, the only, um, so I wouldn't lay down unless it's something, you know, if you're feeling faint or whatever, and then that's when you hit the medical tent. Um, but just make sure that you get a proper cool down or else uh, you're going to potentially have and cause yourself some bigger issues. Okay. And then from a hydration nutrition perspective, you know, they usually give you some fluids or if you've planned on, on special, you know, things for yourself afterwards, like water, your you know favorite kind of water, Gatorade, whatever. Um, slowly drink to get to your thirst level. Don't chug just like any other time. Don't chug. Just start drinking and, and replacing your fluids. And then nutritionally, um, a good two to 300 calories within 30 minutes is, is ideal. Again, that's a, a four carbohydrate to one um, protein ratio. And the importance of that is that the carbohydrates are going to start replenishing your glycogen stores, which is very important. And then the protein is going to help start uh, recover, uh, recovery in terms of uh, rebuilding muscles and, and everything that you've just totally wiped out. So that's four to one. And I guess my favorite is chocolate milk. Just, just It's easy. It's the right ratio. It's, you know, do the low fat kind. You don't want to stop the absorption of the protein by having too much fat. So 
Um, just make sure you, you get something in uh, within the first 30 minutes and then make sure to eat a full meal and, and try to make that as high quality as you can within about two to three hours after the race uh, to really fill up those stores. That's kind of the cool down hydration nutrition. There's a couple other topics here. The big question, massage, should I get one? Uh, and I did a little bit of research because I don't, didn't really know, you know, an exact answer. My gut was you probably shouldn't get like a full body massage. And a lot of races actually have some of those free massages. Um, from what I could get from research, if you want to get like a, a real massage, you're best done uh, two to three days after the race. If you do something on race day, the suggestion is to do something really light, just to rub down, you know, and that's probably what they end up doing at most races. They don't give really good free massages. They give you like a rub down. So just keep that in mind. Um, you're going to need it more two to three days later, but you're also just coming off of exhausted muscles and you don't want to cause too much damage to those. And then our friend Simon from the UK emailed um, with a question that I didn't have a good answer to. I had a gut feeling, um, but he had seen on a, um, on a program on TV the whole ice versus heat versus do nothing. Um, and historically, you know, and each, each one of those things does something good. The cold, if you go into cold, it reduces the inflammation. It brings the blood. It takes the blood away from your muscles. It, um, and, and it, it keeps that inflammation down so that you don't uh, have the inflammation and the pain, the swelling, etc. Yet the heat is what brings blood flow back to the muscles, which is good because you want blood flow to the muscles for things like bringing nutrition, oxygen, taking away all that waste that you've accumulated during your run. So really, if you think about it, they both have um, benefits to them. Um, I think, I'm trying to recall the email, I think he said that um, that that program was saying the heat was was a better benefit or maybe the same benefit. I did actually watch that program and saw the same thing he did, and I, and I started to do some research. And basically what it boils down to is if you decide you're going to do either cold therapy, hot therapy, or what's called contrast therapy, the bottom line is doing one or the other is better than doing nothing. That's what the, the research that I found from other studies, that if you do nothing, you're going you're gonna to have more pain a couple days after than if you did either cold therapy or heat therapy. Um, contrast therapy, it seems to win the day. It kind of gets the best of both worlds, and that's where you, you, know, you do some cold for 5 to 10 minutes, then you do some some rather warm or hot for five or 10 minutes, um, back and forth for up to about 20 minutes. And so that seems to be the best of both worlds and you're, and you're getting both of those in. But the question is, you know, if you have a hot tub available to you and you don't have a cold bath or you simply just don't want to dump, jump in a, um, a bucket of ice, which who does, uh, that this research suggests that, um, doing the, the hot tub is, is still better than doing nothing. And the other thing is the water temperature doesn't have to be extreme. It doesn't have to be an ice bath. It could just be some really cold water um, out, of the, out of the tap that still does some. It may not get to, it may not change the core muscles that much, but it will 
provides some benefit and doesn't have to be a hot tub. It could just be a really warm bath. Um, and so I just thought that was interesting. Um, Simon had asked the question. I didn't really have a good answer. And I thought that I'd bring that to this since it applied to what you do after, after your race. Good stuff. Did you jump in the ice in an ice bath oh. after marathon? <laughs> no, I did not. But we did, you know, where we stayed, we did um, jump in a hot tub, I think, a day after. Uh-huh. So, um, and it did loosen us up a little bit. But, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we were in college, it was always ice baths. Um, yeah. So it's interesting, and um, it was a great question from, you know, Simon. Um, it just makes you think a little bit, I think. It does. I, and I think the, the big question why it even came up in the study was the, the guy didn't want to jump in an ice bath. Nah. He's like, I just don't want to do it. And so, you know, they, they got some people to try both, and the end result was either one works fine and it's better than doing nothing. So yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. So that's basically the end of what I had, and I see we're we're ticking down to almost 37 minutes here. Nice, very good, good stuff, Dan. I wish that we would have had this like two days before the Boston Marathon. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, I I feel like we got right back on track um, with the podcast stuff here. Awesome. Well, hopefully um, everybody else agrees, and we didn't totally screw it up. Yeah. Well, yeah, the jury's still out. You're right. If we, t- if we destroyed this one, um, send your emails to support at runfit365.com and just let us know how bad we are. Um, and we promise that we'll continue to get better. We already know. So it's, it, won't yeah, be <laughs> it won't be a surprise at all. Um, Dan, anything else before we close? May- maybe tell us what's up with, um, you know, episode 29 here. What- what's coming yep. down the pipe? Yep, so it's it's basically, so we just took you through race day, through recovery and race day. Um, one A while back, I got an email about, so I'm done with my race, what should I do now? Um, you know, should I go run hard the week after? How long should I recover? Um, what about if I want to do another race in a, in a week or two? So we'll talk a little bit about, you know, sort of the gold standards of um, the weeks after your race, the types of things that you can do. Um, those types of things you probably shouldn't do. Um, and, and I'll look for other topics for, you know, the weeks after the race. But, again, if there's things that you want to know about, please let us know. Um, send us an email, uh, support at runfit365.com, and we'll see about adding those things as well. Hopefully it'll, it'll be a full program as well. Cool, cool, good stuff. All right, Dan, you want to close this one out? Oh, got to remember how to do that. It's been six months after all. Um, <laughs> That's right. Let's see. Um, have a great week and happy training. <laughs>